Lord, we're so thankful that the significance of your life, Jesus, and dying on the cross for us, it covers us completely and our sin and our shame. They really don't need to count anymore. And God, this morning I pray that as we read from your word, as we recount story and historical facts, I pray that today, that by your spirit, you'd bring a revelation after revelation in all of our lives, God, about how you see us, about the relationship we can have with you and about the life that we can live with you freely, openly, every day. Lord, I want to pray against any lie of the enemy today. Lord, that those lies will be removed from this place, from hearts and minds, and that your truth will prevail today in Jesus' name. And can I hear an amen this morning? Amen. So feel free if you want to stand for the rest of the message. That's fine, up to you, or you can take a seat. Thanks, Martin. I appreciate your standing. That just He's with me in this. You've heard the story, the Garden of Eden. It's the original sanctuary of our life with God, an intentional sanctuary. And I'd love to read from that, and we're going to actually read through the story. And I'd love you to follow on with me. I haven't got it on the screens. I don't want it on the screens. I'd love you to follow it. If you Now, you don't need to. You can just listen. But I'd want to unpack that a little bit if you've got a device or an old school Bible. Either way is fine. It's all God's truth. Can we just sit in Genesis 2 and to actually go there and go, what, what is this story? Let's check it out. So from Genesis 2, it says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day... God had finished his work of creation and so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. By the way, God's rested from his work of atonement and he's declared you holy. Do you know that? Praise God. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And it's taught, this, is, this is about when God created us. And when the Lord, verse 4, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. Can you picture that? It's kind of nothing. So no no trees. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then, now this is interesting. I I just thought that the Garden of Eden was there, and then man just kind of, you know, appeared in the Garden of Eden, the other way around. God created man out of the dust of the earth and then created a sanctuary for him to live in, the Garden of Eden. Now, I find that very interesting, very intentional. God wanted us to live in a sanctuary. God wanted us to live in a pristine place. God wanted us to enjoy and be in this sanctuary with him in beautiful, unbroken relationship. What a picture that is. And um, so he planted a garden in the Garden of Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. And the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have we got the clicker, guys? Can I have that if it's around? 
haven't? Okay, I've got a picture. If I was to make a garden, I reckon if I used all my best effort, this is what I reckon it would look like. Now, other one, that's God's work. This one here, I reckon I could manage that. Bit of grass, couple little trees and two seats. One for me, one for God. There we go. There's a garden. That's not the, now, this is, this is probably more like it. If you think botanical gardens, if you think lush, tropical, delicious fruit, that's a different picture, isn't it? It's kind of sanctuary that Adam and Eve were in. Beautiful place. It talks about a river that flowed from the land of Eden and it watered the garden and then divided into four branches and went out through the earth. You know, that's an interesting metaphor, really, because I believe now that the church is at the centre of the world and we have, we have the author of life at the centre of the church, Jesus, and from us is living water that flows out into all different regions of the earth. It comes from the church. It comes from you and me. We are the sanctuary vibrant with life now. And so there's this watering of the earth. Interesting concept. Verse 15, the Lord God placed um, the man in the garden um, to tend it and watch over it. Now, here's an interesting thought. We were designed to work even before sin came into the world. It's part of our makeup. I don't know why I'm saying that, but anyway, that's for someone. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now here's the picture, beautiful lush botanical gardens in the middle, two trees, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they could eat from any tree, including the tree of life, just not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Getting a picture of it? Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky and he brought them to man. He's going, no one there. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept in verse 21, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he said, my goodness, where did she come from? She is awesome. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh and she should be called woman. And then it talks about marriage. But then, verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So God, right in the fabric of creation, the original sanctuary, God created man and then he actually planted a garden, a botanical garden, a paradise with a tree of life, a tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of anything, just not that one. You see, God is, God's call for us is actually like we've got this life and it's like there's so much we can do in life, but there is some warnings. You go there, there'll actually be consequences. But we've got freedom to engage in so much of life. But here's this concept, they felt no shame. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had a relationship? And potentially marriage. But I reckon if we're honest, it's even challenged there where we can purely engage with somebody with no shame, nothing, complete openness, complete vulnerability, and we're totally okay with that. Here I am. Totally exposed before you. 
and I'm okay. Now, Genesis chapter 3 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say, Did God really say you mustn't eat from that tree over there? Really? Did he really say that? Really? Nah. Now, we can trivialise this and we can think this kind of picture book story, reading to your kids of a bedtime and we picture this little snake down here and it's going, hello, I'm the serpent, what's your name? I'm Eve, hello, hello. And, you know, what are you doing today? You know, we get all this kind of picture of this little snake talking to Eve and, and I'm sure some of that did happen. But I think that that conversation was so intense more than we'd ever know. And I'm sure there was a physical manifestation of some kind where the enemy was actually manifest in a serpent. And I'm sure there was some kind of engagement within Eve that was in her mind engaging with all of her desires. And the enemy was fueling that and speaking into that. It was so significant the rest of our humanity humanity was hinged on this conversation. Our life looked completely different from that point forward. I don't think that was just this little conversation with a snake and a woman. It's huge. More than we'd ever know. The enemy at work at his best, full of lies, deception, distortion. The woman engaged, and she's telling what she thought God said, which was actually different. Anyway, and the enemy goes, "You won't die." The serpent replied to the woman, "God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." And the woman was convinced, and she saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame. At that moment, we've gone from a sanctuary with God, pristine botanical gardens, with a tree of life to sustain our life ongoing, to a life because we engage in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and put an end to our earthly life and brought shame into our world. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. See, what's interesting about this scenario, we engage with this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, we weren't really meant to have that. It belongs to God. He's the judge. He's the one to discern good and evil. So it wasn't meant to be in our thinking, but it is. You know, I reckon it's just a hunch and this is my thought, but I think from that point on, we've used that knowledge to judge people. And we're quick to judge. And sometimes we can be very verbal at that and sometimes it can be very subtle. But, you know, we could use that knowledge for justice in our world, discerning good and evil. Or we can actually use it to judge people. And God's our judge. He's the only one 
that should action that knowledge. And you know what? He is a judge and he's declared you're not guilty. How do you use that knowledge? Anyway, continues in verse 8. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard. Now, can you picture this? Beautiful garden. Beautiful open relationship with God. Suddenly, there was shame. And so they hid. They covered themselves, tried to cover themselves. And like hid and deliberately hiding from God. Yet God is the one who's actually walking to them. He actually, in the cool breezes of the man, his wife, they heard the Lord walking. And so they hid from God among the trees. Then God called to the man and said, where are you? See, God will always initiate relationship with you. It doesn't matter what shame you're feeling, what guilt you're feeling. God will always be the one that will step in first and go, Kev, where are you? Come to me. Come on, come to me. You can be in relationship with me. You don't have to hide from God. You really don't. Not even a little bit. And Adam replied, I heard you walking in verse 10 in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, it was a woman you gave me. You gave me the fruit and I ate it. Can you see how shame caused, a, caused us to hide, caused us to blame? It's, it's actually so unhealthy and we don't have to live there. The Lord God asked them, well, what have you done? And the serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. And the Lord God said to the servant, just puts all this judgment on the serpent and then there's ramifications for pregnancy and ramifications for, for actually making a living for the rest of our lives, etc. And then in verse 20, it says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. It was an honouring name. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, this is a significant point. Because we realise we've got shame and we try and hide, we try and take care of that ourselves. And God knows what's going on in your life. In this process, he even actually helped cover shame with leather, better than fig leaves, almost like a permanent covering. And God continues to do that this day. Then the Lord God said, Look, human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit in the tree of life now and eat it, and they'll live forever? So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground for which he'd been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What a full-on story. What a full-on account of historical events. There's so much more wrapped up in there than what we realise. Now, here's what I believe God wants to do in that with us today. God wants to actually speak into that for us around the concept of shame. I totally believe that with your life with God. And if you don't have to live long in this world for sin and disobedience to get into the way and for you to feel guilt and shame. Now, the enemy will want to keep you there. He'll want to keep speaking lies. Did God really say? Did God really say that? You know, if you want to actually hear what God says, read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon of the Mount makes it very clear what God says. And God actually provides a standard there where we can actually, with the enemy, try and justify our behaviour. And Jesus will go, man, you've, you've all got it wrong. You all need a saviour. You all miss the mark. You're talking about murder, I'm talking about anger. You're talking about adultery, I'm talking about even look at someone. You've committed adultery in your heart. And Jesus doesn't say that so we feel guilt and shame. 
Jesus says that so you and I realise that actually we need a saviour. We need a covering of our sin. We need a covering of our guilt that is an eternal covering so that we can step into relationship with God, understanding his grace and be in this relationship that's totally open, totally vulnerable, totally exposed before God. He knows what you think and say even before you do it. You don't have to hide. He knows what's going on. He calls you to live a life that's different to what our flesh wants, but he covers your sin and your shame. Praise God. If we can live a life with God in this world where shame doesn't grab hold of us, you will have a life of freedom and joy and lightness with God. It's such an internal journey that has ramifications in all of our physical ways. Have you ever actually, if you've got kids as parents and, and the kids do, do something wrong and you're actually speaking into it and the, and the kids feel like they're getting in trouble, what do your kids do? I know what my kids do. Quite often they'll try and hide. Like under the bed's a great place. Have you ever done that? It's interesting. One of my kids would actually jump on a bed and cover up with doonas and soft toys and especially their eyes, completely hidden from their father. And I find myself saying, I need to look, I need to look at your eyes. Have you ever noticed when you look in someone's eyes, you see so much? I look in your eyes, I just see, Helen, I saw it before. You, you worship God so authentically. I can see that in your eyes. See, God wants to be able to look at you in, in the innermost way that he can. Like in, in your spiritual eyes where he, can, he sees into your soul. Don't you sense that sometimes? You look at someone's eyes, you can almost see into someone's soul. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you. And he can because of what Jesus did. He's completely forgiven you. His grace is abundant. And he can look in your eyes and just see you for who you are. Where we live in shame. And shame's so subtle, but it has lasting impact. I mean, many of you know I played soccer for years and some of my behaviour on the soccer field was very questionable when referees made a wrong decision. <laughs> It's funny, I, I got more vocal the older I got. I don't know why, I don't think I could keep up as much and I don't know, anyway. What's interesting though, I'd, I'd have a go sometimes on the soccer field. Yeah, you get adrenaline pumping in your veins anyway, I don't need to justify it, it was pretty bad sometimes. And so I would, I'd speak out and I'd have a go at some referees. And then the game would kind of be over and then a couple of days later I'm just walking around and bump into one of the referees. And you know what the instant kind of thing to do is? To walk the other way and pretend you didn't see them. See, shame does that in relationship. When you sense that there's something wrong and you feel like you've done something wrong, you know, and God will convict you by his spirit and go, come on, care, this is how I want you to live. But shame doesn't need to be in the mix. See, God doesn't want you to hide from him. He doesn't want you, if, you, if you, someone reminds you of Jesus, you bump into a Christian person somewhere, but you're carrying shame, you'll actually, if you're anything like me, you'd probably walk to the other side of the road, 
just so you don't have an engage, a godly engagement. What was interesting about the referee thing at Tumby, right, because I played in the Christian comp, which made it kind of worse. Um, and so they hired our facility to have a referees meeting, and they booked it ages ago. They said, no worries, yeah, of course, you can use that. And then, but I was there for another function that night, and I walked into this room, and there's a, about 20 referees, and I'm just there in the middle of the room with 20 referees. And I think I had to go at every one of them. And talk about, you can feel the shame. And I just want, wish the ground would just open up and just swallow me up right there. But I stayed. It was awkward. But every one of them just loved me anyway. Because they're good guys. Now here's the deal. I reckon sometimes we think of God as a referee. That he's got a big whistle and he's got a couple of yellow cards and he's got one red. And if we're not careful, we can get a few warnings, and then we get a red card, and then we're kind of out. Well, God's not a referee. He's a judge. He's a God of love, and he's already judged. And he looks at you through the eyes of Jesus, and he declares you from his authority to judge as not guilty. Done deal. Completely forgiven. Totally forgiven. You know, the antidote for shame is grace. And if you feel that's even just an, an essence, just a tiny bit of shame in your life, and it, it just happens when you live, God wants to just increase his grace and call you to live just how he wants you to live. And then when something doesn't go well, he just applies more grace and says and initiates relationship. And, and we can actually try and hide. And he's going, Kev, come in. Where are you? Come on, come back into relationship. Let me see your eyes. Come here, take the covers off. It's okay. I've got you covered. My blood has you covered completely. I mean, is anyone understanding this? Do you know the significance of this in your life? God wants to have a life with you where shame's not in play. The enemy wants you to be reminded of all your sin every day and for you to feel just disgusting about yourself. Who do you think you are? Have you heard that? Have you heard the enemy say that? But every time, God initiates relationship. Every time. Now, I'm running out of time, but I really feel I need to share this passage with you. Can we go to the one in Romans, guys? Check this out. Now, this is Romans talking about this account in Genesis. And it says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. And still... Everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Are we on the next slide? Can you guys follow me there? I know I'm speaking quick. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but... Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness. And that's to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being what? 
I want to hear it. What's it led to? Sorry, I can't quite hear you. Now say it with confidence. (laughs) Don't you hate it when someone makes you do that? Being made right with God. Even though we were guilty of many sins. See, God knows there's sin in your life and he never excuses that. He's just got you covered and calls you to live. Grace empowers you to want to live a different kind of life. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's act, one act of righteousness, once for all time, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. If you believe in Jesus, you have a right relationship with God. Praise God. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. You get it? Jesus speaks on the Sermon of the Mount. He goes, get it, guys? You guys are missing the mark. I've got you covered by my grace. My grace is greater. My love would cover a multitude of sins. And it talks in verse 20, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. God's grace is more abundant than your sin. You don't have to live with shame. So verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. See, grace rules, giving us right standing with God. And as a result, resulting in eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Can I just put an invitation out there? That as you continue to live with God, and maybe, maybe today is the first day where you've actually realised that God's initiating a relationship with me. He is. And he'll do it continually. He'll call you back in, to a, because of his grace, into a love relationship. Because I love this verse, it says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. If we can continue in fellowship and understand that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection giving you his spirit sets up a life where shame doesn't have to be in the play. If you're experiencing shame or guilt in any way, even the smallest essence, whether it's today, tomorrow or down the track, it doesn't have to be in there. So as the band come up and and we remember Jesus' body and his blood, can I encourage you to hang in that truth just for a couple of moments today? That you and I can have a completely genuine, completely authentic, completely vulnerable, completely open, confident, joyful relationship with Jesus because his grace is greater. Because his blood covers a multitude of sin. We don't need fig leaves or leather clothes. We do need clothes. Don't take that the wrong way. But you get what I mean. We need a great understanding in every situation of life that God's grace is greater. And so because of that, I can live with God 
purely authentic and purely confident with no barrier at all. No barrier of thought, no barrier across my heart. It's complete openness. And here's the interesting thing. If you can do that, it actually gives you capacity to be genuine with other people as well. Because as you realise, I can stand before God completely open. Well, certainly for people that are close in my world, I can just be authentic as well. If I'm totally loved by God, I can just be the real deal. Can we pray about that? Lord, I thank you that that in you, Jesus, Lord, no matter what the enemy's saying to us in the form of a serpent or any other form, Lord, no matter how we feel about ourselves, no matter what other people are saying about us, Lord, I thank you that the truth is that we can stand before you, sit before you, live with you, confident that your grace completely forgives us, forgives us and covers our sin and our shame. Lord, I pray that it would change our posture. I pray that it would change our mission in this world. Help us to be really effective for your kingdom. Lord, help us to be authentic with you and then, as a consequence, authentic with others as well. Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus, because you paid the price for us, that we do not have to live in shame. Lord, I thank you that when we spend eternity with you, you'll restore all of that. And we will live in a sanctuary once again as it was meant to be. But Lord, until that time, help us to live with you just open and authentically without any shame. Remind us by your spirit about how you've cleansed us. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.